Well, good morning, faith family. We want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and also our venue. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. While you're turning there, uh, let me just give a special welcome to our guests this morning. We've got a lot of people that are visiting uh, this weekend, and we are delighted, really delighted, uh, to have you worship with us today. Uh, we've been having a conversation the last several weeks about uh, this idea of freedom uh, in the Bible. What does it mean to really be free? Uh, What does it mean to not just know about the freedom that uh, God has given us, but actually live in that freedom? And so uh, in the book of Galatians, that's what this letter is all about. It's about experiencing the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, it has been, it's been amazing. Uh, what God has been doing in the life of this faith family through the testimonies that we've been reading, uh, through all that we've been seeing that's happening, and we give God praise for that. And so we're going to continue this morning uh, in Galatians 4, picking up at verse 21. And I'm going to invite you, if you're able, in all of our locations to please stand for the reading of God's Word. We do this uh, not out of tradition. We do this because I want us to have that reminder before we get into the message that what has authority here is God's Word. Uh, It's certainly not me. And so uh, let's look at um, what Scripture has to say to us this morning. Galatians 4 and beginning at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born, was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that, at that time, he that was born according to the flesh persecuted him that was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Piece of cake, all right? (laughs) Easy passage, (gasps) right? Would you pray for me now? Uh, This is a powerful text. Uh, And so pray that God will come and teach us through this. Would you please pray with me now? Father, I love your word. Difficult passages and, and not as difficult passages. And so we come this morning to this passage and you have something to say to us. I really believe that. You want to speak to us in this moment a, a voice of freedom. And so Holy Spirit, would you come and would you do that? Would you set us free? And I ask all this to the glory of one name and one name only today, and that's the name of Jesus. We ask it in his name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Five years ago, Alice made a decision that would forever alter 
her past. You see, Alice thought it would be an interesting idea to do one of those mail-in DNA tests. And of course, she was convinced as to what the results would be. After all, she was a child of Irish American Catholics, and they made her go to church every Sunday and would frequently boast about their Irish heritage, which is why Alice was so confused when she got the results back. The results showed that she wasn't Irish at all but was mostly Jewish. Convinced that clearly somebody's made a mistake along the way, she decided to have another test done, and sure enough, the results came back the same again. So she decided to have her sister take one of the tests, and her results came back the same. Alice was very, very confused. She was impacted at her very core. Questions begin to arise in her mind. Questions like, was there an adoption that nobody told me about? Was there an affair that was secretly hidden? Alice began to question her story. She said, quote, I lost my identity. I felt adrift. I didn't know who I really was. But she was determined to find out. Over the next several months, through lots of research and additional family DNA studies, Alice would begin to conclude that the missing link in all this had something to do with her father. And then one day, everything turned. She crossed paths with a woman by the name of Jessica Benson. The reason why this was significant was that Jessica's father and Alice's father were born in the same city, on the same day, in the same hospital. In fact, to make matters more interesting, their birth certificates were one digit apart. Alice encouraged Jessica to take a DNA test, and she did. And her results came back just as shocking as Alice's did. You see, Jessica thought that her results would show that she was Jewish. But they showed that she was Irish. And in that moment, the two immediately realized what had happened. This was not a family secret that had been hidden. It was a mistake that had never been uncovered. That a hundred years before, on September the 23rd, 1913, at a hospital in the Bronx, the wrong baby was sent home with the wrong family. A Jewish baby went home with an Irish family. And an Irish baby went home with a Jewish family. And they realized in that moment, Alice and Jessica and all their siblings, listen, that the family story they'd always believed wasn't true. Can you imagine that? Some of y'all don't take notes in sermons, but you've already written down, go home and take a DNA test, all right? It's like, that's the application of today's message. What? What? 
Can you imagine that feeling? Imagine thinking that this was your past only to find out it was entirely different. Imagine thinking that this was your family story and heritage only to one day realize it's not. If that's ever happened to you or if it ever happens to you, my guess is like Alice, like Jessica, it will, it will shake you at the very core. Why is that? It's because our family story gets to the essence of our identity. And you know this. It's why some of you have photographs framed and hanging on the wall telling the story of your family. It's why some of you have photo albums of your kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews telling the story of them growing up. It's why often at a wedding you'll be forced against your will to watch that slideshow. And see this story of these two people and the families from which they have come. It's why it's common at a funeral to see a collage of pictures retelling the memories and the story of that loved one's life. You see, you know this, faith family. You know this. For better or for worse, family has a way of defining identity. And because that's the case, when somebody comes along and they start, they start messing with that, they start changing that, it hits you at the core. Right here, Lakeville venue, everybody. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in this passage that we just read. He takes, in a beautiful and controversial way, the story, the Jewish story, the family story that they had known all their life, they told it over and over and over again. It was the very essence of their identity, and he reshapes it. Look at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So stop for just a moment. We've got people visiting with us this morning, or maybe you've been out a few weeks. Uh, what's the context of this book? Follow me. This letter is written to Christians that come from a Gentile background. They're non-Jewish. And there is a Jewish group known as the, talk to me, Judaizers, who are telling them, if you want to be accepted before God, if you want to be approved before God, if you want to be justified, you need to follow the Mosaic law. You need to be obedient. You need to do all the things that God has told you to do in the law. And if you do those things, God will accept you. It is called justification by works. And Paul has spent this entire letter trying to get these Galatians to abandon that thinking because it's false teaching. It's anti-gospel. Amen. We are not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone. And Paul has been giving argument and argument and argument. His point, performance for God has never been the pathway of acceptance with God. That's great news, amen? Performance for God is not the pathway of acceptance from God. And he has given argument after argument. For instance, Peter. Peter was inconsistent with the law. The Spirit. Did you earn the Spirit or did you receive the Spirit? You received it by faith. Or what about the covenants? The Mosaic covenant proved you need not performance, but promise. Because the law proves you can't obey. What about adoption? Hello? You didn't adopt yourself. 
You didn't get yourself out of the orphanage. What happened? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. You didn't get to God. God came to you. Or what about last week? Your background, Gentiles, was appeasing the gods. Do you remember all your idol worship? You're doing the same thing now. You're just using it in a religious way, the law, to try to appease God. No, 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 no. We are not saved by works. We're saved by faith. Now he's going to continue to prove that point through a, a reference to their history, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Uh, This was a story that they would have known uh, all too well. Uh, In fact, many of you, if you've been around church at all, you know the story of Abraham, right? God gives Abraham a promise. You with me? Uh, You're going to be the father of many nations. Uh, Blessing's going to come from you. There's an inheritance that's coming from you. Land and on and on and on, all these promises. But Abraham's like, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, God, but I don't have a son. I don't have an heir. I don't have anybody to continue this lineage on. And I also don't know if you noticed, I'm really, really old. God says, that's all right, I got this. I'm promising you, Abraham, that you're going to have a son. I promise you, you'll have an heir through which these promises will come. Well, then Abraham goes and tells his wife, Sarah, and do you remember what she does? She laughs. She's like, this is hysterical. There's no way this could happen at our age. That's impossible. Well, God delays the fulfillment. I mean, I don't know if you've learned this in life yet, but if you haven't, here's a good time to learn it. God doesn't set his watch to you. His timing's not our timing. He doesn't follow your calendar. He follows his. He has a plan, and it's a good plan, and he's sticking to it. So when the fulfillment is delayed, uh, Sarah says, well, clearly this is not going to happen through me because I'm barren. And so what if, Abraham, you took one of our, 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 our slaves, one of our female servants, Hagar, and had a child through her? And that's exactly what happens. And that child is named, talk to me, Ishmael. 14 years later, guess who comes along? Isaac. Isaac is the promised child that God promised Abraham long ago, 14 years before to be exact. And so you understand the story. Everybody with me? You've got the family story of Hagar and Ishmael, and you've got the family story of Sarah and Isaac. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. Paul now takes that and says right here, that illustrates two ways that we approach God. Two ways that we approach God. Verse 23. But the son of the slave was born, this is important, according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. In other words, there's two ways that you can approach God, right? Everybody right here. You can approach God the faith way. That is, I believe you. I trust you. You said it's true. And so I take you at your word. And it may not be my timing, but I believe you'll do it in your timing. I have faith in you, God. But there's another way of approaching God. And that's the according to the flesh way. We're familiar with this one. It's the, I'll do it my way, I'll do it in my strength, I'll do it according to my abilities, I'll do it according to my calendar. And so there's these two ways of approaching God, and one is do it yourself, 
The other is faith. Question, does that sound familiar? It should. Do you know why? Because that's exactly what the Judaizers are teaching. You see, they have made salvation a do-it-yourself project, a take matters in your own hands. It's faith plus obedience, faith plus your effort, faith plus your strength. Let me show a hands at Lakeville Venue, everybody. How many of you show of hands have ever done a do-it-yourself project? Anybody? How many of you have lived to regret it? That's exactly what I thought, right? I mean, most of us know, man, we Americans, we love do-it-yourself, man. I mean, we're all about that. But my guess is most of us have experienced at one time or another that when we do it ourselves, we often make a bigger mess. All right, show of hands, show of hands. Who can relate to that? Anybody? That's exactly right. See, we, we all have had that experience at some point in time or another that do-it-yourself can, also, can often end in a big mess. Now, listen to me, faith family. Uh, do-it-yourself may work out occasionally for a remodeled bathroom, but it's a terrible way to approach God. It ends in disaster. And if you don't believe me, just read the first few pages of the Bible. Because the entire fall of mankind was the result of a do-it-yourself project. God, I know you've said I'm supposed to live this way. I know you've given a specific order to life, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live according to my strength. I'm going to do what I think is right. It's a disaster. I want to ask you this as a way of application before we move on in the text. How do you respond to God in your season of barrenness? When, when things aren't going the way you think they ought to go, when the timing seems off, when you should have children by now, you should be married by now, you should have that job by now, you should have gotten rid of that addiction by now, and on and on, the health issues that you're dealing with, those should have been long gone by now. How do you respond to God? How do you approach God in seasons of barrenness. Notice this on the screen. We are tempted to take life in our hands, do it yourself. 
when we don't trust our life is in God's hands. Amen? We tend to take life in our hands when we don't trust that our life is in God's hands. Or notice this, faith is the only way you will experience freedom in times of barrenness. That's what Paul is saying. Man, look back at the family story. Isaac and Ishmael proves that do-it-yourself is a disaster. Now he's going to take that family story and he's going to reshape it. Notice verse uh, 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. That is, this is, I'm using this in terms of an illustration. These women are two covenants. Not that they're literally two covenants. They represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Wow. Faith family, I'll admit, I've said some controversial things before, right? I mean, last week I said I wouldn't powder your butt and things like that, right? Uh, Things that I I go home thinking, why in the world did I say that, right? And I'm sure you're like, I've wondered the same thing, pastor, right? Uh, I have said some things that are controversial before, but I have never said anything that controversial. Do you have any idea what Paul just said? Paul just said to Jewish people and those that want to be like them, like the Galatians, that if you try to earn your approval through the law, if you try to be justified by works, listen, your mother is not Sarah, your mother is Hagar. Your family story is not Isaac. Your family story, Judaizers, is Ishmael. Is it any wonder Paul gets beat up everywhere he goes in the book of Acts? Like the expression on their face when they would have read this is like that. I can't believe Paul just said that. Faith family, please, Lakeville, do you understand the emotion of this? Paul has just said, you have believed your entire life that your story, your family story was Isaac, but I'm telling you it's Ishmael because you're doing the exact same thing. You're trying to do it yourself. That's powerful, amen? And it's really controversial. And of course, Paul doesn't mean this literally or or ethnically. He even says so. He means it spiritually. That is, the Judaizers are a type of Hagar. They're a do-it-yourself people. And that is not how we approach God. No, we approach God in a different way. Verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written... Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one who has a husband. Just quick note here. Uh, verse 27 is referring, watch me, it's referring to a time when Israel was in Babylonian captivity. They couldn't get themselves out and God delivered them. 
In other words, we're a different people. We're not a people that get ourselves out of things. We're a people that trust God to get ourselves out. He is our deliverer, amen? You say, what is all this about? It's about this. Paul is saying, we're not a people of performance, Sinai, Jerusalem. We're a people of promise. We trust God above the new Jerusalem. We're not a do-it-yourself people, Hagar. We're a dependent on God people. We are not a people of works. We are a people of faith. That's our story. Our bloodline is the bloodline of faith. Why do you think I call us a faith family? Because that's our family. It is a faith family, not a work. I don't come in here and say, what's up, works family? No, I say we're a faith family because that is our identity. Now, the pushback, it hasn't been great, but there's been a few of you that have pushed back on this series, and I'm thankful for it because you keep saying, Pastor, I feel like you're not saying enough about works. I feel like you're not saying enough about obedience. You keep talking about all this faith, 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 that we're not a people of works. I got a problem with that, to which I say, oh, well, I mean, I love you. It's the right question, but it's the wrong question about this book. Follow me. I want to I put a stake in the ground and make this clear. This book is not talking about sanctification. That is our growing in godliness. If you want that, go to read the book of James. This book is talking about justification or salvation. That is, how are we made right with God? And when it comes to that, we're not a works people. We're a faith people. We're a faith family. And so let me try to give some clarity as to how we rightly approach this thing of obedience. Uh, Tim Keller has given kind of a, a list of four categories, and I've changed the language to make it a little more easier for us to understand, but it represents the way people approach obedience. And I want to actually take a moment in this faith family and, and deal with this. Number one, some people approach obedience this way. They obey in order to be approved. They obey for approval. In other words, I'm going to do good works. I'm going to do good things because the more good I do, the more loved I'll be by God. Do you follow me? These tend to be Pharisees. They tend to be self-righteous. They tend to be very, very religious. And the expression of it tends to be pride. Look how good I am. Look at all my family does. Do you know how long I've been a member at this church? And they will gladly tell you their resume of all their good works. Look at me. That is not who we are if we understand the gospel. Number two, some people disobey, but they are frantic for approval. These are people that are like, I know who I should be, but I know I'm not that. And their, their life is, is filled with the experience of highs and lows. They're in church for a while, and then they're out of church for a while, and then they come back to church, and then they drop back out of church because they're constantly in this seesaw of, this is who I should be, and I'm not, and I need to do better, but I'm not. And so they're disobeying what they know they should obey, and they're frantic to do better in hopes that they will be approved. This gets expressed often by guilt. These people are very guilty people because they know they're not approved and they keep trying to earn it. Are you with me? 
Here's the third way. This is people that disobey forsaking approval. In other words, this is open rebellion. It's, I don't care what you say. I'm going to live how I want to live because I don't give a rip what God thinks. I'm disobeying and because I don't care about approval from God. It is open, full force rebellion in sin. And this often gets expressed with despair. What I mean by that is deep down they know they have no hope. They have no hope that they are running in the wrong direction. But this is who we should be, number four. We obey from approval. Are you with me? That is, we want to obey God, but listen, it's not the basis of our approval before God. We obey out of joy, not obligation. We obey because we understand and are convinced of the gospel. That is, I am absolutely convinced that God loves me. The Bible tells me so. The cross tells me so, which means I don't have to obey to earn his love. I can obey because I have his love. Are you with me? I am not discounting the role of obedience in the Christian life. I'm simply trying to set you free from thinking that your obedience counts towards your salvation. Jesus is and has always been enough. Paul himself agrees with this, and we'll move on. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through, talk to me. It's not of your own doing. It's a what? Gift from God. It's not a result of? So that no one can boast. And then look what comes next. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's not anti-works either. He's just saying we're not a people of works. We're a people of faith, and that faith then impacts the way we live. Works are an overflow, an outworking of, of our faith in God. We're a faith people. Amen? Y'all with me? We're a faith people. That's our approach to God. Well, Paul finishes this passage with an encouragement to these Galatians, and we'll end with this. Verse 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. This is very easy to interpret. All Paul is saying is this. Um, Galatians, you shouldn't be surprised that you're being persecuted by the Judaizers. This is not new. Why is it not new? Because people in slavery always resent those who live in freedom. That has always been the case. It's why Ishmael persecuted Isaac. It's why, listen, the Pharisees hated Jesus. They wanted him dead. You know why? They couldn't stand the freedom he had. It exposed their own slavery. It's why the religious leaders wanted to stamp out Christianity in the beginning. It's why they wanted to kill the apostles because they could not stand the freedom they had. John Stott writes, the persecution of the true church is not always by the world who are strangers, but of our half-brothers 
religious people. The greatest enemy of the evangelical faith today is not unbelievers, but the church. The establishment. The hierarchy. Because Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. It's why I love nothing more than making religious people mad. I mean, in fact, when you show up here on Sunday morning or Saturday night or whatever service you come to, here's what I'm after. I want to make religious people mad. Why? Because I want you free. I want you free from that slavery. So so what do we do, Paul? That's what the Galatians would ask. And here's what he says, uh, verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. In other words, Paul is basically saying this. Stop listening to the voice of the Judaizers. Come on this morning, all right? I've been preaching at you the last several weeks in this series for your freedom. We're going to be in this book a few more weeks. Eventually, we're going to move on to other topics. But if you're going to leave this series free, you're going to have to stop listening to the voice of the Judaizers in your life. Cast out the slave woman. Cast out the voice of slavery that is in your ear every day. Enough of it. I want you to be free. I want you to be really free. Galatians, Bereans, Christians, that means you've got to cast out that voice of slavery. You say, what does that voice of slavery sound like? It sounds like this. Number one, the voice of legalism. Oh, come on, preacher. Some of you come from church backgrounds. Some of you have parents, I know because I talk to you, that continue to put this legalistic, traditional pressure on you. Some of you, I know I've talked to you, you walk into Bree and you're like, I can't even believe I'm here. I can't even believe we do this in church. Are you kidding me? Am I supposed to be in a place like this? Because you've got all that historical legalism screaming in your ear, telling you about rules. I'm here to tell you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Cast out that voice of legalism. Enough of it already. And I'm not trying to down your church tradition or background. I'm just saying, don't be a slave to it. And one of the greatest testimonies I hear is when people email me and they say, I came from a very legalistic background and then I came to Berean and now I'm free. Why? Because of the gospel. Number two is stop listening to the voice of the liar. You know, you got an enemy, right? Come on, preacher, preach. You have an enemy, Satan, who loves to destroy your life. He wants to make a mess of your life. He wants to defeat you. And how does he defeat you? By reminding you as often as he can what a miserable failure you are. Look at how much you fall short. Can you believe you're doing that same thing again? I don't see how in the world God could love you. And that voice of the liar that often sounds like your own keeps coming back every day. Enough of it already. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I'm not listening to those lies anymore. I'm listening to my father who speaks with the voice of love, who speaks with the voice of acceptance and freedom. 
A third voice that I think we hear all the time that is the modern expression of the voice of the Judaizers is the voice of leverage. What I mean by this is it's people who intentionally or unintentionally try to dominate you by reminding you how much you fall short. For some of you, it's a spouse. For some of you, it's a parent. For some of you, it's a coworker or a boss. And for some of you, it's why when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you weep. Because of that thing she said. Because of those words he aimed at you. And it was all meant to gain leverage over you so they could feel good about themselves and make you feel like a failure. Cast out the slave woman. Stop listening to the voice of leverage. Stop listening to the voice of the liar. Stop listening to the voice of legalism or you're never going to be free. Verse 31 and we're done. So brothers, we are not children of the slave. We are of the free woman. Paul is saying this. You want to earn approval with God by do it yourself? That's really what you want to do? That's your approach in life? Well, let me ask you this. How did that turn out in the past? Don't you see? Do it yourself. That is, living according to the law is Ishmael. It's slavery. But approaching God by faith is Isaac. That's how you receive the inheritance of God. That's salvation. So the question right here, Lakeville venue, everybody right here, the question is simply this. To which family do you belong? To which family do you belong? Is it the faith family? Or is it the do-it-yourself family? Because the reality is this morning, we all belong to a family. For better or for worse, That family story has a way of defining our identity. The good news of the gospel is that today, whatever background you are from, whatever your past family story may be, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, this is your family tree. This is your DNA. This is your story. And we will declare it forever and ever and ever and ever. As the old hymn says, I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory. To tell that old, old story of Jesus and his love. And God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. I know when we bring up issues of family, that can be a a great source of, of blessing for many, but it can also be a source of pain for others. And I pray this morning that we would have our identity in the right family. The only bloodline that matters when it's all said and done is the bloodline of faith.
It's the family of God. And we are in that family not because of anything we do. We are in that family purely by faith in what Christ has done. And that sets us free. So I pray this morning, if there's somebody here and they would say, I know that I'm not a part of the family of God. I have never put my faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be that day that they would turn right now from their sin and surrender to Christ alone. There are others in this faith family who have been listening to the voice of their own Judaizers. Voices that day after day bring them back into slavery. Set us free. May we hear daily the beautiful voice of the gospel. It is finished. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.